Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you are listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Now, today's episode is a little bit different. If you're listening to this on your phone, you may see slightly different artwork. There has been a rebrand, an update to the logo, an update to the podcast artwork that I'm so excited to be sharing with you all after so many months of work. Honestly, it's been 10 months in in development and kind of a lifetime in the making. And the reason I wanted to do this dedicated episode is because we talk so much about brands here on the podcast. We all know what it means for a brand to feel strong, but building a brand doesn't just happen organically. It doesn't magically come together. Great brands are always built with intention. And when you're building a brand with intention, you know it has to look and feel a certain way. But before you get to the visual identity, you have to ask yourself some questions. What are your core values? How do you want people to feel when they think of you? What do you want the experience of your brand to be. You string all of those values and ethos and principles into the visual identity, which is what people see first. Now, I knew I had to develop a true brand around Naked Beauty when I thought about developing product. This is going back to the heatless hair rollers I developed. One of the things that stopped me from selling them was I was like, what am I putting on them? What's the logo? What's the name? Like, how am I selling these? I knew that my old podcast artwork couldn't translate to product. Now I'm really proud to say I actually have a product out in the market. If you're listening to this on Monday, on Friday, pre-order opened for my cashmere robes. They're beautiful. There's a beautiful rose that's embroidered on each of the cashmere robes. I mean, it truly is this like luxury product. It's truly a chic, beautiful robe that can take you from morning coffee to a Zoom meeting to your nighttime skincare routine. And I'll put the link to it in the show notes so you can check it out. And this robe, actually, the early samples, this was my first time seeing my logo. Now, I have to say I was very attached to my old artwork, and let me tell you why. I made a yogurt turmeric mask before a night out, and I took a selfie, and I was trying on different earrings to figure out which kind of statement earring I was going to wear that night. My hair was not done yet. It was in a towel, but there was something really striking about this image. Then I got help with the graphic designer who added this kind of glitter effect on top that had designed into my podcast logo that's been my logo for the past however many years. I really wanted to capture the same spirit of my previous logo, but in a stronger, more decisive way. And as I pulled together reference images, I scoured through my vintage Vogue magazine collection. I've got issues from 1990 to 1997, and the fashion and beauty looks are so, so strong. I also pulled a lot of images of disco albums from the 70s with really strong fonts and typeface and decisive colors. And I had these threads and ideas about how I could build a really strong brand, but I needed to really formalize it. Enter Utendahl Creative, Madison Utendahl's small but mighty design studio that's executed work for the likes of Lenny Kravitz. They've done art direction for Mother. They've done brand application and content design for About Face, one of like the coolest makeup brands. And the creative shop, which is all women, by the way, I have to say that it's all women and led by a black woman. As I saw the work and understood the ethos behind their work and the way they do what they do as a design studio, I was like, yes, this is the partnership that was meant to happen. And I was meant to wait for this opportunity to work with Madison and Tori on this. Now, Madison, I've known for years. She's incredibly smart and I've always admired her strategic thinking. And I very quickly learned how strategic this entire process would be. And Tori, I hadn't met before we did this project together, but I got to know her throughout this process. And one of the things that I really love about Tori is that she is all in. I really understood that she wasn't just taking me on as another client. She was listening to the podcast. She was sharing ideas with me. She would talk to me about trends happening in the typography world or send me interesting articles to help reframe my thinking. Both Tori and Madison were invested. And I think that is so important for good partnership. We were building together. So I've got all this passion and ideas and inspiration, but they have the skills and the expertise to bring it all together. As you listen to the podcast, the image of the podcast, this artwork, all of the colors and the font and the letting and the kerning were all very carefully considered. And I have to talk about the photo shoot for just a moment because the photo shoot was truly an experience. It was shot by Stephen Simeone in my backyard, and Stephen and his partner Daniele have a real appreciation for glamour. And I knew he would understand that sort of vintage aesthetic that I really wanted to communicate. 
He even shot a series of my portraits with a nude stocking over the lens for that blurred effect. And we didn't use any ring lights. There were no LED lights present. They used an old spotlight, actually, that he found someone selling online and brought to the shoot. And that warm lighting added such depth to the photo. The makeup. Now, Jaime Diaz is someone I wanted to work with for the longest time. And I'm so happy he was able to do my makeup. Before the shoot began, I sent Jaime the brand book. Everyone got the Naked Beauty style guide that I worked with Madison and Tori to develop because I really wanted everyone to understand the larger mission and vision behind the image we were creating. Now, I also hired a stylist, a creative director, if you will. One could argue, why would you need a stylist if you are putting a towel on your head? But it's like, what color towel? What texture towel? Do we do an armband? Do we do a necklace? Do we just let the earring shine? So I called up my friend Naomi Elize. Now, Naomi is a fashion editor at Vogue, but she's also a podcaster. So I knew she understood what I was doing with Naked Beauty. I sent her my brand book and I explained that we need to bring this to life in a shoot. And Naomi was so helpful in narrowing down, okay, these are the strongest images. These are the ones that best communicate what you're trying to convey. And I took a lot of care in selecting what the final image was. At the end of the day, I wanted to face you as the listener. And hopefully this is an image that communicates me as I feel I am today a self-possessed woman, someone who's proud of the journey that she's taking and hopeful about where it may lead her. Now, the turban towel is steeped in heritage. I think about Black American slaves who had to wrap their hair under U.S. mandates. But I also think about the turbans of the neo-soul era that India Ari and Erica Badu used to rock. I think about that iconic image of Sade with her hair wrapped up in the towel. This image is also a light nod to the girl with the pearl earring. And that's a painting from 1665 by Dutch painter Vermeer. But this is also a nod to that girl back in 2016. 16, taking a selfie in her towel and her earrings before a big night out, using the resources I had at the time to create something and share it with the world. What a privilege it is to go on this journey with you all and to share the evolution of naked beauty together. Let's hear from Madison and Tori. Thank you so much for listening. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Tori Madison, welcome to Naked Beauty. It's a pleasure to be talking to you both. And I'm talking to you in my cashmere robe from the line that I've been working on. I'm headed to my fragrance meeting this afternoon and release the podcast artwork. So in preparation for our conversation today about the visual identity and the podcast rebrand for Naked Beauty, I went through our emails and our very first email like kickoff meeting was January 18th, 2023. Whoa. Yes. So this is a process that takes time and we've come so far and I'm so excited where everything landed, but I really wanted to do this episode to talk to you all about the design process and why it's so important and why it's so much more than updating a beautiful photo. So first, Madison and Tori, please introduce yourselves and then we'll get into the conversation. Hi, I am Maz Newtendahl and I am the founder of Newtendahl Creative. Hi, I'm Tori Baston. I am a creative director at Newtendahl Creative. So I knew I wanted to redesign my podcast artwork and my logo and my overall visual identity because I last did it in 2016, which is now so, so long ago. Hey. You all sent me this amazing capabilities deck 
where you basically say the first slide is like, do you want to be legacy or are you interested in innovation? And, and then it was like, if you want to do things like the old traditional way, we are not the agency for you. Why do you start with that in like the very first page of your capabilities deck, essentially turning people away? Yeah, it's funny you say that because it's it gets it's received both ways, right? Like I think some people love it and some people find it to be we've had people say it was like offensive <laughs> or like they thought that it was like a bit much and we were suggested to remove it. This was Tori's idea actually to put it into a chart. I think we had it in the beginning as more of like a manifesto or decree. Well, in, in doing research, I think what I started to realize is that people get so bored of capabilities decks. And so to start with a controversial question about what you value right away can kind of help weed out both for people receiving the deck and for us if the following information is going to be useful. And then being a designer, I, of course, had to make it visual through a flow chart. <laughs> and then you all follow with this slide of brand identities that have been created by big legacy agencies. And pretty much all of the logos look exactly the same. And then you click over and you see all of the beautiful brand work that you've done for uh, the companies that you guys work with. And I think that's when I was like, okay, this is definitely the right choice to work together because especially in beauty, everything looks so minimal and clean and safe and beauty is supposed to be fun. Right. Yeah. Why we show that is that there is this this idea that going with what works or has proven to work is the safest option. When in reality, we live in a hyper media saturated environment and there's so much, there's so many visuals, so many brands that you're constantly being bombarded with that in order to stand out, you have to do something radically different. So playing it safe is no longer safe, as we say. Yeah, I would just add to that and say that contextually, what we're also saying in the beginning of the deck by showing that is those all of those logos were created by the same group of people. So statistically, you have about 96 to 97 percent of creative agencies are made led by straight white men. And most of the teams are comprised of straight white men. And so we have a thesis that if you have one group of person or one type of person responsible for 100% or 97% of the output, you're going to most likely statistically have more brands that look alike than more brands that are going to be unique, separate, creative, dissimilar. And so our thesis is also that we're an agency rooted on difference, rooted on being a team of women, rooted on POC and bringing together people from all walks of life. And so in return, the work and output is going to be unique, differentiated as it should be. It absolutely makes your agency stand out so much. I have a lot of empathy for founders because you put a lot of money into something. And so you, sometimes you just want like the safest option for your brand, right? You want something that's not going to be too different because this is like your baby that you're putting out into the world and you don't want it to fail because you've taken this big creative risk. Yeah. But I would imagine that for a lot of your partners, you have to do some handholding to allow them to feel safe in taking a risk. How do you do that? It's hard. I think you make a really good point that like, you first have to just have awareness and acknowledge that like it's it is a big decision and it's a brave thing to do to go outside of your comfort zone, especially when you're putting money behind it. I think that yeah, to your point, being a founder is extremely hard and spending money on something and a large sum of money on something feels like a big decision, especially if you've put as so many founders have their life savings or life work into a project. So I think the first step is leading with empathy and really trying to understand where people are on their journey. And I would also say that if somebody is just not there yet, then to acknowledge that that's okay and that we'll still be here when they want to come back to us about a year later, which is which happens a lot. I would say 40% of our clients are actually people who come to us are not really ready yet to make a big decision. Maybe they even go so far and go with another agency and have a safe logo first and then come back. But it really starts with just trying to understand the founder and let them know that we're listening and that we're going to be their partners and collaborators versus just being in service of them. Totally. And to, to build on that just a little bit more, what I always like to say is that we're rebels with a cause. So it's not about taking risks for the sake of taking risks. It's about purposefully doing something different that's rooted in a, a true and distinct story that's unique to the brand that you're building. Less about risk, more about 
true, truthful, honest storytelling. One of the things that I found so helpful in the process, and I remember Madison, when you first came over vintage issues of Vogue from like the 90s and all of these like vintage fashion editorial and beauty books and Kevin Aquan making faces and all of these kind of like iconic 90s fashion and beauty references that always stay with me. And we went through all of those together. And then we started asking really specific questions about what we wanted Naked Beauty to convey and to communicate and who we wanted it to be for. And I want to just share the kind of core values work. So why do you have, before you even begin, you know, coming up with colors, anything design related, why do you start by asking clients what their core values are? Yeah, it's, it's it was so fun. That was like a I think that we were we did a four hour working session, right? It was there. Yeah. It was a long one. It was great, though. You know, ultimately, we believe that if you don't have a clear understanding of what your values are, it's really tough to make a brand that's rooted in anything of substance. It's possible. People do do it, but we don't recommend it. The reason being is that our goal is to create something for you that is differentiated and needs to have legs. And so we look at core values as your reason for being, right? Your why. When a brand has clear understanding of their why, it's much easier for us to build a brand that's not rooted in subjective opinion. And frankly, that's how a lot of creative agencies work. It's a creative director whose opinion is supposed to be the one that the brand is built off of. But that's not how a really solid brand is made. It has to be built off of what is in service of the brand and what is in service of the founder. So it's also an opportunity, Brooke, to understand your core values, what's important to you and what you're seeking to build. And from that, it can get translated into the design phase. Yes. And it was so helpful to really align on inclusivity being one of the core values because it's so hard. I feel like when you're asked something like, well, who is this brand for? Who is the Naked Beauty podcast for? And I'm like, well, it's kind of for everyone, which is difficult to not have a super specific target. But I knew that I wanted this feeling of inclusivity to come through in the visual identity, right? Like the visual identity is the thing that can say more than a thousand words about your brand or your content could say. But I also knew that I wanted glamour, high doses of glamour and curiosity, right? I mean, the core of what I do is getting to know people, sharing their stories. But how do you make that kind of surprise and delight come through in a visual way? Totally. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like the way that this is broken down, like each of those core values are associated with a certain visual language. There's like very concrete tools for how we translate inclusivity into a visual language. And same thing with glamour. I remember Brooke, when we were working through the brand, you mentioned this one book, I think it was called like the, the Mystique of Glamour or something along those lines. Oh, The Power of Glamour. The power of glamour and how it really emphasized like the importance of mystery and this kind of cinematic imagery and more provocative messaging. And that became such a cornerstone in how we decided like the color palette and visuals for the brand. So yeah, having that foundation in the values like really helps us start to narrow in on the possibilities of the world. I would love for you to talk about how glamour and romance and drama translates even into fonts and design decisions. Yes. Oh my gosh. I could go on and on. I'm such a nerd. And it really is like a whole other language. So everyone bear with me. So typically associated with glamour, you're going to see these kind of high contrast Dito fonts that are serifs that have like these luscious curves. They're usually used as a display type, commonly on like magazine covers especially in, you know, the very early days of fashion, you know, 50s, 60s and beyond. And sans serif versus serif, could you just remind me the difference? So serifs are uh, an older typeface and they have the embellishments. So like when a, like, for example, when a T has like the little things that drop down or has a little base at the bottom and the curves, those are the serifs. And it'll always look like a more like an older, more classic font because it is. Those kind of typefaces were invented very early on before like the Bauhaus movement, which stripped away all adornment on letters. And that's where we got sans serif typefaces like Helvetica that were more streamlined. Sans serif is the streamlined new kid on the block. (laughs) Serif is like the old school, timeless, elegant 
version. Yeah, more decorative. More decorative. Yeah. And my final font is serif or sans serif? Serif. Serif, because it has the kind of more decorative elements. To get deeper on this question, we talk about these rules when it comes to visual language and these associations you develop, but who creates these rules, right? Because I would imagine they change by culture, by lived experience. Such a good question. And it really is so contextual and based on where you are in the world and at what time in history. But over time, there are just kind of universal associations with specific colors and typographic palettes. For the sake of our conversation, I'll keep it limited to type. There was this survey done by Monotype not long ago that was a broad survey, just like looking at people's perceptions of personality based on type. And unsurprisingly, when they saw a serif font, they're like, okay, this is something that's sophisticated, authoritative, more classic, timeless. And then they looked at something like a sans serif and they're like, okay, this feels like more techie, maybe more friendly, approachable, modern. And so they become these kind of archetypes that we're all familiar with and have connotations with. That being said, in design, we're always playing with those Uh, expectations and kind of subverting them. And so more recently in the fashion world specifically, you've seen this kind of streamlining of logos where they've gone away from these more embellished maximalist logos to something that is more stripped back. And I don't, to put it impolitely, like plain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A little more boring. I mean, that literally has a term and it's called blanding. Yes. That's the shift. Yeah. Blanding, meaning the exercise of making your brand blander and therefore, I guess, more palatable. And I would imagine easier to recall. I think it's twofold, right? Like, I mean, there's so many reasons why brands are blanding. And there's also like an anti-blanding movement happening at the same time, which is interesting, especially logos that are scripted like Johnson & Johnson. They have removed the script from their logo because you have an entire generation that like can't read or write script. It's sort of become... Obsolete. I mean, that is one school of thought that people are very much like subscribing to. I think the other is that like, and I would argue that I I would believe that a lot of these brands are doing it with the best of intentions. I think it's rooted in, okay, the world is changing. It's time for us to evolve. I think the irony is that in that opportunity, they're still playing it safe because of maybe the volatility of the market or how quickly trends change. It feels like there's this desire to strip back and try to be almost bland brand lists in order to be able to, to transcend the decades and trends that are moving so quickly. But yeah. in that case, they've, you know, they very much have like lost their soul and is the opposite of what people really want. So it's an interesting case study. I think we're going to see a lot of re rebrands again in like two, three years. So blanding is certainly something that we're seeing happen kind of across all industries. I'm curious to get examples from you all of brands that you've seen do this, but also brands that are actually moving against this current and standing out. I'll kick us off with one of my favorite rebrands of recent, which is Loewe. They did something really interesting in terms of instead of blanding, what they did is hired a research-based agency that dug through the archives and really found a way to honor the history of the brand while modernizing it in such a way that it became easier to use across digital platforms, et cetera. And they took on a more maximalist tone overall, even though it was still simplified. And you can still see the through line from the old brand. And that to me is such a perfect case study of how you maintain the values and ethos while you're still becoming a more contemporary brand. That's a great example. I think my, a lot of the references that come to mind immediately are in like the food space. There's a brand called Fishwife that I think is doing a really good job. They're a canned fish brand and they're really like, I don't know, they're just got a lot of illustration attached to it, bold colors, like it's really a crowded logo and inter- and, and front-facing package. And I, and I love that they're just saying whatever, like we're going to add all the things and do the opposite yeah. of taking out. I think you have brands like Starface that like perhaps is not maybe my aesthetic, but it's like very much leaning into being like big, bold, loud, chunky fonts, yellow, like just in your face in a way that I think is 
the opposite of the way that most brands are going. And then I just like, and I wouldn't say they're like going too bold, but I think that Gia has found a really strong way of maintaining and having its own brand identity in a world, especially in the non-alcoholic space where, where there's so much copycat. They have found such a distinct aesthetic. I think it's a testament to Melanie, their founder, but they have not subscribed at all to the blanding aesthetic, despite the major shift in the industry to do that. I love that you brought up the founders, Madison, because I feel like the stronger your point of view is as a founder, the stronger the visual identity can be, right? We see all of these brands that are basically like cooked up with some with, with various stats and like an opportunity. And like you can feel the lack of care in the visual identity. Yeah, I like I something I always say is like if you want to make the wrong decision, ask everyone. Right. Because you know, people will and so the brands that are I find staying on the course of individuality and really doing something unique have a founder with a really strong internal compass and know that even if they get other opinions and they're influenced by the world, like Melanie is rock solid in her POV and she can be inspired by other people. But in the end, like Melanie's going to do what's best for Melanie and Gia. Yes. And that really absolutely makes a difference. I want to hear from you both around why what you do is so important. We think about like the state of the world and it can seem very frivolous. All of it can seem very frivolous. You know, spending a lot of time and money and resources developing fonts and logos and color schemes for brands. But we know that there's so much more to it. What gives you purpose around this work and why is it so much more than just a series of beautiful okay. images and and color schemes? The honest answer for me is that my purpose is more rooted in people than it is the work itself. So I'm more passionate about providing women the opportunity to stay and be in design and pursue careers in design and feel safe in their work environments than the work itself. To me, that is like really the most value and purpose I have in what I'm doing. And I think some of the biggest ways that we make an impact and have purpose is in what we give back. So for example, during Black History Month last year, we did free portfolio reviews for Black designers. And to me, like that is by far one of the most like purposeful, valuable things we have ever done as an agency or, you know, use the design talent to create content that is educational and rooted in activism. To me, that's really how design makes an impact. It's a, it's an industry that is very expensive to succeed in, both to get a degree in, to you have to be able to support yourself, usually on low pay. So if we can provide people from a business perspective opportunity, that's the value I see in the work versus like the work itself. I can very much relate to that. Tori, I know you go really deep on this stuff and you're very passionate oh, yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, I love brand building. And I, I think it's really because I love storytelling and that that's mm. super powerful, especially in a world where we're looking at brands as much more than just purveyors of products. They become identifiers of personality and also worlds to escape into. And so for me, like the beauty of branding is, is in building these worlds and figuring out how we combine historical frameworks with personal narratives to create something that is both familiar and completely new and hopefully inspiring and delightful and bring some joy to people's lives. And speaking of personal histories, I love how you even brought imagery of my grandmother into the building of the brand identity. And I remember we got to a really good place with the text version of the Naked Beauty logo. But then it was like, okay, how do we think about what the accompanying... So there's the word mark, right? And the, the logo, am I getting this correct? Yes. Okay. The word mark is basically the letters and the logo is like the artwork that's associated with the letter. So Nike is like the word mark and like the swoosh is the logo. Yes. Amazing. Pretty A plus on, on the design language. So we, you know, the black cameo, which is designed by Kareen Simpson, it was taking this very traditional European cameo that goes all the way back to Victorian times. And this woman in the 90s kind of remixed it and did it featuring black women. And I already kind of had a version of the cameo as my 
past artwork, right? Because I had this side profile picture with the turban, but then it was like, how do we create this into a logo that feels new and innovative? And like, it could be anyone having a self-care moment, but also has that kind of more historical legacy to it. What I really enjoyed about the final output of it is that it really does communicate this kind of combination of something that is futuristic, yet feels historical and yet so contemporary. And I think speaks to you, Brooke, but also more universally, Black women and beauty and self-care in such a powerful way. With the little planet earring. I do want to cut in here and talk about this earring because I went to the Vivian Westwood shop on Melrose. I was desperate to find something that was planet-like. I knew that Vivian Westwood always used a planet in a lot of her designs. So I was looking at the jewelry and I couldn't find anything large enough, especially when you think about the scale of a podcast image. I knew that the earring, the planet of the earring would have to be visible, even if the image was really small. And the earrings were just too dainty. But I found a belt, like a pendant chain that had this really large, clear planet with the gold. It was beautiful. I was like, okay, I feel like I can somehow make this work. And I was talking to a salesperson there about this vision I had to take the pendant and turn it into an earring. And I was like, is this crazy? Would this work? And he was like, actually, yes, you can go to the Century City Mall and there's a fast jewelry repair shop. It's next to Wetzel's Pretzels. And I bought the pendant in that very moment, took an Uber over to Century City, took the escalator up to the Wetzel's Pretzels. And then I walked into that jewelry shop and I said, "Okay, can you take this pendant? and add it to a hook for an earring. It was too heavy for a hook. We had this whole back and forth. How is it going to work? We were able to figure it out with a nice chain. And the planet is really cool because it's kind of my nod to Naked Beauty Planet, which is the online community that I've built for Naked Beauty. So I wanted to incorporate that somehow. This was just such a cool tie-in. I feel like the way everything came together was basically better than I could have envisioned it. And that was thanks to months and months of work, really honing in on what we wanted to communicate and why we wanted to communicate it. Yes, exactly. The key to a strong brand is always in these tension, uh, the tension of elements. And so the fact that we're able to tell this story that is so broad and sweeping across history and yet so personal to you, Brooke, and yet relatable to uh, everyone who listens to your podcast and everyone who comes on it. Just that's the power of branding. Yes. And I also just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the image now that I guess everyone listening to this is looking at. I think about all of this conversation we had about the A's and like the A's being connected or not connected. But there are very subtle things that I don't know that you would get on first glance, for instance, some of the letters are connected to each other, which is to represent the kind of connection through storytelling and the connection through community, which Tori, I thought was such a brilliant touch that you added into the design of this. But I remember we spent a lot of time figuring out if we should have a bar across the A's or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. And ultimately, what we liked about uh, removing the bars was that it's this little playful wink to the nakedness of uh, naked beauty. So it's kind of like removing a little something from the A. And it's like, again, the tension between connectedness and yet a little bit of mystery, you know, you're not seeing it all. And it's a, also a window, you know, it breaks up this like chunky, like the, the big like block of letters in an elegant way. Yes. I think that the ability to translate what someone wants to communicate with their brand and what their ultimate aspiration is, even if they're not there yet, I would imagine you all work with some products that are just pre-launch, right? It's just an idea. Yeah. We work with brands that are pre-launch and then never launch for whatever their own reasons. Yeah. yeah, we have, it's, it's a whole... It's a whole world. I mean, like I think one of the interesting thing parts of our job is is finding the balance of it's like every project is like a kid going off to college, right? Like you can do all you can teach them whatever you want and values and when they get to school it's kind of like whatever. <laughs> Whatever sticks. So yeah, we've seen it all and we get it all. You mentioned Fiverr and getting a friend to do it, which sometimes that's what you've got the means to do. I'm Yeah, yeah, you got to do what you got to do for sure. I'm privileged enough to happen to know someone that has this incredible design agency that was 
you know, <laughs> when, you know, with it within my means. But if, even if you are, and Tori, this is, I think, a really a question that you'll be so helpful at distilling. Yeah. If you are working with a designer, just one-on-one, someone that you did maybe find on a Fiverr, or it is a friend of yours that happens to be a designer, how do you clearly distill and communicate what you're looking to do and brief that designer in a way that will produce results that we'll be happy with? Because you've taught me a lot about what feedback is helpful and what feedback is not helpful. You know, when it comes to critique and getting the results that you want, it's always helpful to frame it back in terms of the audience and who it's for, who is going to be actually interacting with the brand. So depersonalizing it in that way and also really focusing on what's working and what isn't, even if you don't know why, as opposed to saying what you like or don't like. That way, designer can help problem solve about if it's not working, maybe it's not working because, you know, the hierarchy's off. Like we're not like getting the legibility clear enough or like there's not enough contrast, et cetera. As opposed to like when it's grounded in personal opinion, it's a bit harder to decipher like why. And I actually have some examples here for what you've outlined is not useful and useful. So not useful in <laughs> I don't like this, but useful is I don't like this because the colors feel too playful and it makes the brand feel too juvenile. That's keeping the target audience in mind. Instead yeah. of saying, I showed this to my friend and she thought the colors were ugly. <laughs> You've gotten that. You'd be surprised. We've gotten everything. Yeah. And to say, I did some consumer testing and the comfort value prop isn't being communicated clearly because the colors are too jarring, right? So always bringing everything back to the brief and what you're trying to accomplish so that you're not just like bombarding with your designer with subjective opinions. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I think also highlighting the problems to be solved without offering solutions and like really like relying on your designer to help like figure out how do we solve for this? Yeah. Like the, it's like passenger seat driving. I feel like it happens a lot with design. Yes. I would love to continue talking about this idea about how to like democratize. Essentially, I want people listening to this that maybe don't have access to teams like yours to understand what sorts of questions they should begin asking themselves to really get at a crisp identity. I think, Madison, I shared a, I think it was a thread with you where someone said, like, it's funny how people just assume a rebrand is a new photo shoot, right? It's so much yeah, you're right. Yes, yes. I won't throw a name to we were talking about, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what sorts of questions should people as they're developing their brand or maybe looking to rebrand ask themselves? That's a phenomenal question. And it's something that people need to ask before they waste designers time. I think that's the other reality is that you will waste time and money when you go to a design team without understanding your how, what and why. Um, And I think that's the most valuable thing. And again, you don't have to be a brand strategist. It doesn't have to sound beautiful. It doesn't have to be incredibly articulate, but you need to know what you're building, how you're going to get it done, right? So whether if it's the brand or a book, just have an idea of your how and why, your purpose. You know, what is the reason behind doing this? And have those three questions really figured out before you go to a designer or an agency. And who is it for? Yes, who? Who? That's a great (laughs) one. Who is it for? Because if you don't have those four key questions answered, even the world's most talented, award-winning, exceptional designer or agency is probably going to get it wrong. Because ultimately, if you don't know the answers to those things, you just can't expect other people to get those answers for you. But more than that, if you don't have the resources, and here's, here's the other thing, I will say this too. This is where strategy comes in for a branding project, right? I think a lot of people are like, oh, I just need a logo. And I'm like, well, this is why you actually hire a strategist or you hire a strategy team is because if you don't have the ability to answer those four questions for whatever reason, maybe you just need another person to help you figure it out. That's okay too. That's when you bring in a strategist, right? But if you can answer those four things well and have the budget to perhaps hire an individual designer, you're better off knowing those answers very concretely before you go to them. And are there any, I guess, sure, you can reflect on your brand and what you're hoping to do, but are there any tips or pointers to helping people answer those questions? Like, I'll give you an example. For me, when I was answering some of those initial questions, I actually asked people that listened to the podcast and people that knew me and knew some of the products that I was working on, what words came to mind. 
And I use that as kind of like a starting point. How do other yeah. people experience my brand as it is? Yes. And then yeah. what and then layer that on top of what I wanted. Yeah, that's a great um, point. So how I would usually pitch this back or what I suggest back because similar feedback to when people say to you, answer questions in a do- job interview as if you were talking about your sister or your best friend, you can choose a brand that you love in the world and feel really connected to and ask yourself reasons like, why do you love that brand? Why do you think that, what do you think that brand's purpose is in the world? Like what elements of that brand are inspiring to you? And then from there, thinking to yourself, hmm, do I want these things associated with my brand? Right? Like use external references. Same with maybe a brand that you don't want your brand to be associated with. Why don't you like that brand? What elements of that brand are not working for you or don't jive? Okay. Then you have more insight for what you're seeking to build, which means not to be nothing like that brand for those reasons. So I think it's helpful to sometimes rather than put the pressure on yourself to look at brands in the market that you're really connected to or disconnected to and try to practice and do that exercise. And then you might be able to distill a bit more information for what you're really deep down seeking to achieve. Yeah. yeah. And I think what Matt is is describing is kind of putting together for yourself a competitive audit. Mm-hmm. And so looking at who within your space are doing things that you like and dislike, and then you can start to get to the core of why you're disliking or liking those things. Yeah. Yeah. They can also get distilled down to like one of the questions that we ask a client who maybe comes to us without their knowing their full how, what, why, and who, but they're paying for strategy. Some of these questions, sometimes you can get a little stuck on brands. We ask people to distill it down to words. So what words, and Brooke, we did this exercise when I was at your house, like what words do you not want your brand ever associated with? What words do you want your brand associated with? And so again, like you can find so many different associations to unpack. A great example for us is as an all-female agency, when we were figuring out our why, like we knew that we didn't want anyone to ever associate us with being like cute or pretty, which meant that we had real pink. So that meant we needed to create a brand that was the opposite of those things. Yes. Yes. Another way you can unpack it. It, It's such a helpful um, frame of reference. And I remember when I came to you all, I was like, do I have too much? Because I had like all I was like, this is what I want for my hair rollers. This is what I want for the fragrance that I'm going to do this. Like I had so many ideas and I actually Mm -hmm. thought that I was going to overwhelm you all with the amount of Pinterest boards and Tori, you were actually like, this is great. Honestly, like the more we can see, the better. And I'm just, I'm going to the kind of word word. that Mm -hmm. we we got to glamorous, connected, historically rooted, global, high quality, culturally aware and relevant, bold, confident, self-assured. I think that really came through. We talked a lot about the photo direction and how do we bring in this idea of nakedness, but from a place of strength, which comes down even to the way you choose to pose. Nostalgic, which is something I would love for you all to describe because the brand vacation does it really well, but this idea of like new nostalgia and aspirational. Matt, I'll let you take the nostalgia. How would we describe nostalgia? So I think we're living in an era that is nostalgia is very trendy, right? This is something that a lot of brands are adopting. But the reality is, is that not all of us actually like want to go back to the past, but we can be inspired by the past. So the idea of nostalgia is taking the things that we love about the past that we're inspired by, but modernizing in a way that feels accessible and inclusive. I think for people of color, nostalgia sometimes like just doesn't, for me, I can only speak for myself, doesn't really resonate. Like I don't really want to go back to the past. (laughs) There's so many of these eras and decades that people are referencing. I'm like, no thanks. That might have been great for you, but that's not going to be a good time for me. Right. But there are certain elements of those periods, you know, that perhaps have an essence that I'm attracted to or would find to be beautiful or interesting. Nostalgia gives the permission of being able to pull in the newness while pulling the references from the past that feel agreeable to yourself. So I think it's a more palatable term and more inclusive than nostalgia. And I would say that that's my perspective of it as a as POC, but I feel the same way. I feel yeah. the same way. Whenever something feels too old timey, I'm like, Black people were not part of this history. <laughs> yes, not exactly. Not speak to me. But yeah. that's, that's when you get to the like, what we are not. And, you know, yeah. this is a beauty podcast. People listening to this are interested in beauty. And I think we can all agree that there's so much beauty 
is overly serious. Like I was so, I was like, I do not want this to be pretentious or inaccessible or overly serious because that's when you get into that kind of glamour direction, it's very easy to get to this very pretentious kind of like, I don't know, just it's not interesting or new. It doesn't feel accessible. It doesn't feel welcoming. So it was really helpful to distill the like what we are not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think these are really important to remember. Like beauty can also, I mean, fearful people are like fearful. I think sometimes beauty can be alarmist depending on the brand, right? You know, really being like, don't get, you don't want those dark spots. Right. A way that can feel like, what? Oh, oh, should I be afraid of my dark spots? Like, what if I'm okay with these things? And so that kind of alarmist feel for energy, beautiful energy is also not, not the vibe, not the way to go, but also it's prevalent and seen in the beauty landscape as well. There's so much fear mongering, especially, you know, when we think about the clean beauty era that we're coming out of, which there's nothing wrong with using natural ingredients, but making an intention to not be fearful in the way that you communicate your brand is really important. Totally. And I think um, also to the overly serious point when it comes to glamour, I think we're at a point where we're like past it and the balance between high and low and relatable is so much more valuable, which is why I love what we've done with uh, Naked Beauty, Brooke. I think it perfectly strikes that balance. I'm going to ask you your final question, which is how do you stay inspired? Oh, wow. I mean, there's a million resources. I'm a huge nerd, obviously. So I spend my free time digging through archives, various ones online and even in the library or whoever will let me in. Just looking at old ephemera, I think also going like thrifting and vintage shopping and finding just design artifacts. You can find inspiration anywhere as long as you're keeping your eyes open and like looking around at the world. That's my number one piece of advice. Go outside and get off your computer. (laughs) I know. You know, I always ask people, when do you feel most beautiful? And I'll never forget Julie Schott answered it. She was like, on the days where I have like very low screen time and I'm like not on my phone. And I'm like, that is such a real answer. Well, thank you so much for that, Tori. Madison, my final question for you. One, you just ran the marathon. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm feeling it. (laughs) So you are someone that, I feel as, a, as I've observed as a friend and as someone that I also observe building a business, you were always pushing yourself. You were always pushing yourself further physically with your work, even in your personal life. I feel like you really push yourself. Do you want to push the work that you're doing with your creative agency? Where do you want it to ultimately go? Yeah, I, I say that I, I mean this like forward is a pace. And so I see that in myself, in my work, in my physical body. I just really deeply believe that it's pushing myself but in a way that is out of genuine curiosity of the world and staying informed and staying inspired. So the pushing is rooted in just a deep passion for as much of life as I'm fortunate and able to be able to experience. So that's the root of it. Now, where that, how that translates to the agency, you know, I'm pretty honest about the fact that like, I don't believe that having a business is like having a child. People are like, it's a lifelong commitment. I'm like, I don't know where we thought that's the case. I'm like, not at all. If you don't want to be in your business, you don't have to be. When you have a child, yes, please commit to that child for their life. So I don't, you know, I think that the business is going to continue to evolve, right? Like we're all getting older. We were all in our mid twenties when we, when we started building this as a team and now we're all entering, I'm in my thirties, Tori's 30 in a minute and the rest of the team is right behind. And I think we're all open to this business evolving in a place that feels right and natural for everyone. So whether that means expanding into another vertical, I mean, we are very much getting into workshops and more in-person things. We're not uncomfortable with closing things that aren't serving us. We're very famously known for closing our social media department after it burned out the team. So, you know, I think the honest answer is, is like, we'll see and we'll see where it goes. And the reality is it will be done with intention, whatever we end up evolving to be. Yes. Well, I hope that I can be part of that future as well and that we have other (laughs) opportunities to build things together. It was such an absolute pleasure to work on the Naked Beauty brand identity. Um, This is a big deal. Yes. I'm so, so, so grateful, truly. Brooke, as your friend, I will say I'm just so incredibly proud of you. Like you had a vision 
you had an idea. I remember the many conversations we've had, even when you were back at Meta, and this was always just a concept of taking your business to the next level. And and you didn't. It takes immense courage to do what you're doing, and you're doing it well and have built such a loyal following. So give yourself the credit. It's an honor to be on this journey with you. Thank you so much. Roke, you are, I'm going to say it, the best client I've ever worked with. You give incredible feedback. You're so gracious and kind and patient and so collaborative. And that's how we were able to reach uh, the end goal that we came to. And I love it. I know you love it. Excuse me, Brooke, to give like how to work with agencies from a client perspective. Like I think you could write an amazing success case study there on like how to give feedback and get what you want. Yes, I think that is something that I will try to do more content around. But I also just want to say a privilege to work with women and not to make this gendered, right? But like beauty is such a deeply personal thing. I think from the beginning, you all understood that my show is not just talking about makeup reviews, right? It's so much deeper than that. It's been really collaborative and fun. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Wow, okay. That was how this all came to be. I hope this was helpful, especially for those of you that are thinking about branding your own projects. But also this whole experience has made me become so much more aware of brands operating outside the confines of convention, brands that take risks, brands that actually choose to do something interesting with their visual identity. As they say, everything communicates and I'm now paying much closer attention. Thank you all so, so much for listening. I'll be back next week with new interviews. So much goodness ahead on Naked Beauty. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 